You may be seated. Jacob, your reaction to that psalm and we start talking that gospel when we start talking about money is like everybody else is in the room, okay? So we're all good. Makes us very uncomfortable. So we're not going to talk about that gospel passage today. We actually want to turn our attention toward the psalm. Psalm 138, which we prayed together this morning. We often come together and we say, as George said, let us pray responsibly, or sometimes we do it in unison, we pray the psalm. These psalms or songs or poems have been prayed by the church and Christians for centuries. In fact, the book of Psalms is actually considered the, the Bible's prayer book. Now, you may have heard that the book of Psalms is considered the Bible's song book. Which is it? Well, we know the answer to the question. Yes. It's both. Why? Because our Jewish friends sing their prayers. We don't do that as often, but our Jewish friends do that. They sing their prayers. And so it's both. In fact, it was Jesus' prayer book and song book. Do you know that Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other passage of Scripture? In fact, while he was on the cross, in one of his last words, as he was giving up his life for us, he prayed a psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's from Psalm 22. And so why do we do this? Why do we sing and pray our psalms? Well, there is a, real, a reason for it. It doesn't just fill up time and come in the middle of a service. Not at all. There's really two reasons that we do this. And the first is this. The Psalms express our humanness to God. The Psalms express our humanness to God. The Psalms are inspired by the Holy Spirit to be written from a human perspective. Have you ever been in a Psalm and been caught by a word or a phrase that sounds a little irreverent, right? Just a little bit irreverent, like you can't talk to God that way. Or, uh, you know, a little bit accusatory. Have you ever been caught by a word or phrase from a psalm that might even have sounded a little bit untrue and gone, what is this? What are we reading in the Bible? You can't say that to God. Well, that's not true. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 88 annoyingly and irreverently asked God a question. It should be read like this. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Kind of sarcastically. And you have, may have heard that all psalms resolve on the goodness of God, but Psalm 88 doesn't. It actually resolves with an accusation of God. It really does. The same writer says, you have cursed me. You have cursed my beloved and my friend to shun me. This is the last phrase of Psalm 88. My companions have become darkness. Whew. That doesn't sound very godly. But I have good news this morning. God include. remember, God wrote the Bible. We are, let's just agree on that, okay? God wrote the Bible. And so he includes the Psalms in the Bible because he loves us. He includes the Psalms in the Bible because he loves us. We serve a God that is absolutely kind enough and loving enough and faithful enough and glorious enough 
that he gives us words to express our humanness to him. God includes the Psalms in the Bible because we need words for every human emotion and circumstance. We need to reflect our humanness back to God. One theologian wrote, the very presence of these prayers in Scripture are a testimony to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. I think that sounds like love. That our God would write prayers for us that allow us to accurately reflect our humanness back to him. This is a loving God. So we use these psalms as prayers guides to ourselves because they express ourselves to God. But listen, the second thing is as important. There's another reason we pray the psalms because that alone would be insufficient. That would be insufficient. So number two, first is we express our humanness to God. That's why the psalms exist in God's word here. But secondly, the psalms keep us from praying to ourselves and giving ourselves our own answers, right? The Psalms keep us from praying to ourselves and giving ourselves our own answers. Can I tell you that left to ourselves, it is very easy for our prayers to begin to be said to us and answered by us. It really is. As humans, we must constantly be reminded that we are not God. And the Psalms do this for us. They help us know that we are not God. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, uh, now the late Eugene Peterson, who is in his rest, which if you've ever read Eugene Peterson, is his happiest place. He is with God now. He wrote this about the Psalms. Left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing, or to the part of God we manage to understand. I love that. Left to ourselves, we'll speak to the God who we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us. This is critical. We speak to the God who speaks to us, and we hear everything that he speaks to us. This is why we have the Psalms, because they give us words to express ourselves back to God, but that not alone, they, let, they, they help us to hear God's expression to us. And they let us hear everything that he's going to say. So, today, we want to consider just for a moment Psalm 133. With these two kind of guidelines, these two reasons in place, let's look at Psalm 138, the psalm we read. Psalm 138. This is the psalm that we prayed together today. And I don't know what your Bible titles it, but, the, but I read this in uh, one uh, translation of Scripture, and I think if this is the right title for this song. If this song had a title, this prayer had a title, it should be Thanksgiving in a Troubled Time. Thanksgiving in a Troubled Time. Now that is a human expression, isn't it? And it's a God expression, isn't it? It recognizes that we live in troubled times, that we have personal and corporate troubles all around us. But it also lets God speak to us that our way to come to him is in thanksgiving. See, this is everything that God has to say. So let me go really quickly. First, I want, I want you to know that this psalm is written in three stanzas. Many, many psalms are very complicated. This one's not. That's probably why I picked it to preach today. Okay? It's very easy. 
Three stanzas. First stanza, David worships God. More specifically, David aligns his life by worshiping God. This is what's happening in stanza one. Stanza one is just the first three verses. At its most basic reality, worshiping God is simply rehearsing what is true about God and praising him for who he is. What happens to us when we worship is that we bring our circumstances and our emotions into alignment with God's character. Did you hear that? We come to just express to God what is true about him. And we praise him that those things are true. And we align our circumstances and our emotions. We align them, maybe a better way to say it, is under God's character. This is what happens in worship. I'm going to use a word that is really appropriate for baptism. It's really appropriate for any time we make a vow, including a marriage vow. I use this word in weddings, and the, and the, and the couple who's getting married just is like, what are you talking about? Because it is so out of touch. I mean, I'm going to about to be so out of touch and so uncool, like the uncool priest who uses a Bible word in church, right? That's a little joke. The uncool priests work with me. I'm going to use the word submission. <laughs> nice. Okay. All right. Now, now, we're, now we're getting there. Good. Okay. Submission. We are, when we worship God, we are submitting ourselves to his character. So David starts his worship with this little phrase in verse 2. I bow down towards your holy temple. Now, oftentimes when we read a phrase like this in the scripture, I bow down to your holy temple, we dismiss it very quickly. Like we say, well, that was just because he was, he, was, he was Jewish. He was Hebrew. Like, of course he bows down toward the holy temple. Or we dismiss it really quickly and say, you know, that really now because of Jesus, that's just a heart attitude. We don't actually have to physically bow down or kneel down. Okay. Maybe not. I want to tell you that David actually worshiped God by getting his body into a submissive posture. He got his body, his very physicality into a submissive submissive posture. He bowed down. It is not just a symbol or an act. I, I believe it is absolutely critical in David's case that he get humble before God. And I think it's really critical in our case that we get humble before God. Now, if you've never been to an Anglican service, I know we have a lot of guests here. We've got lots of motions, right? We cross ourselves. We stand up. We sit down. I say, if you're comfortable, kneel, which is really weird on a slanted hardwood floor. Well done. Those of you who give it a shot, right? And a little bit later, we're going to say one of these things. One of these, we're going to, one of my most tender one of the most tender and most worshipful moments in our liturgy we're going to say in just a few minutes when i'm standing behind the altar after baptism and when we do communion i say lift up your hearts to the lord right i say lift up your hearts to the lord and you say and you will say we lift them up to the lord and while doing that you will see many people in the room do this simple it is a posture that says Our lives, our bodies, our souls, our spirits, they are yours, Lord. I open my hand. I give them up. I submit to your care. 
Now, maybe you've been an Anglican a long time, or you're, you're like, this place is weird. I'm not doing motions. This isn't camp, right? I'm not doing emotions. Let me just encourage you that when we get to that part a little bit later today, maybe this is the place you take your chance. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. It's like, it's like Anglican Motion 101. Just give you a low bar to start today. But we do that. We bow or we kneel or we lift our hands or we cross ourselves or we stand because we are embodying with our very physicality submission to God and his character. This is what David starts with in this. He worships God and then he sings about this character. And just verse 2 is beautiful. He sings about God's character, and that character is that God is the God of steadfast, unfailing, never-changing, unwavering, lavish love. That God is the God who is completely trustworthy to keep every promise that he has ever made. And God is glorified and exalted and magnified above every other thing in the galaxy. In submission to God, David cries out, I worship you for your steadfast love, your faithfulness, and that your name and your word is exalted above all. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Then, only after he is articulated and submitted to God's character, David turns to the realities around him. This is the beauty of the Psalms. David is in some real trouble here. This is not made up trouble. The kings of the world, his peers, his enemies are closing in around him. In fact, one of the things that David says later is, I walk in the midst of trouble. Like it's all swirling around me and I'm right in the middle of it. Like he's in real trouble. It's not made up. And if you know anything about Israel's history, kings of the world are continually coming against them and trying to put them down. Now, what happens here is David prays in verses 4 through 6. He uses first and foremost, and mostly, he uses this kind of verb tense, this tense of language that is present tense. It's, it's, or excuse me, it's future tense. It it's means, and, and it's just summed up in the word you see there, will. The kings will bow to you. The kings, this will happen. So David's using this future tense. Like he's, he has some confidence that one day it will happen. But then right in the middle of verse 4, and, and this is a little bit nuanced, something happens in the Hebrew language that, it, that really should make us all pay attention. David turns to the present tense. And he says, the kings of the world have heard you. Now, what does this mean? Well, stay with me. Sometimes when I talk theologically, um, I notice a lot of people like close their eyes in deep contemplation. (laughs) I'm encouraging you to maybe keep your eyes open this time, okay? Because there is a nuance here that we need. And that is this. Theologians are fond of saying that the age we live in is the already not yet kingdom of God. Have you ever heard this? The already not yet kingdom of God. In fact, it comes out of this revelation, the verse in Revelations here that we, that we talked about. And he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. There is an action happening right now. It is a recognition that God's kingdom purposes are already done and being enacted and moving here on earth. And we walk in the midst of trouble. 
God's kingdom reigns. His shalom is present. His peace and hope abound. And we walk in the midst of trouble. It's already here, but it's not yet quite here. And so through his language, David is recognizing both of these truths. He is, in, he is saying to God, I'm walking in the midst of trouble, but I will be confident. I will be confident that your ways are already at work. And so he says all this. And then in verse 6, it still stands at 2. It still belongs in this confidence of the already not yet. In this confidence that God is at work. David says, David says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In the first two stanzas, David is composing a song of how his heart has been changed under the submission of God. He is brought into a right understanding of who God is. God withdraws from the haughty, but the Bible tells us draws close to the humble. This bolsters David's confidence. It bolsters David's confidence and where he's at. In the midst of trouble, David's confidence is bolstered here. And he says, then he goes to the last thing. In this humble confidence, David comes to a right conclusion. It's just in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. A few years ago, my son Alex, who was a senior in college at the time, he was a grown man living in Houston, he took me to a Houston Astros New York Yankees baseball game. It was a lot less exciting than this year's uh, New York Yankees-Houston Astros games. Both of these teams were no good. Oh, no. Are you an Astros fan? Because you can't be an Astros fan. <laughs> he's fine. He's good. And so we were there. And, and Alex, remind you, he was, he is, at this point, he's a grown man. He's a senior in college. And uh, he was, he, we were sitting together, and he got us these great seats right on the baseline. And I'm talking to him this way, and he says, he says, oh, 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 I hear him do this, right? And I see a foul ball coming right at us. And I do something to my grown son that is, I think, instinctive to a father's heart. I pushed him like this behind me and put my hand up. I am slow and old. I missed the ball. But... That's what verse 7 says that God does for us. When we are in trouble, this is exactly what it means. See, in this right place that David's at, he's got the right idea of God now. In his submissive, confident place, he's got the picture of God who does this to his enemies. Enough! And then takes David. Puts him right back. That verse should be really translated. You stretch your left hand against my enemies in defense and you protect me with your right hand in your bosom. That is the picture. If you're in the midst of trouble today, God is inviting you to a posture where he has done this. And where we 
have bowed in submission behind the protection of his mighty hand and his loving care. And so, David comes under submission of God's worship and he realizes that God's kingdom activity is already here and present and that he is protected even in the midst of trouble. And he's in this beautiful place in worship. And then it cries out this. God will fulfill his purposes for me. It's a bold statement. Not maybe God will fulfill his purposes. No, David says God will fulfill his purposes. And if we're really saying it correctly, as I think the song should be sung, God will fulfill his purposes in me. Got to go back to submission, right? Not my purposes, not my pride or my haughtiness, but his purposes in me. We have an advantage over David. We're further along in the already part of God's kingdom reality. David was on the far side of the Messiah. He was still operating under the not yet of someday Jesus Christ will come and walk on the earth, right? And we now stand behind and can say that day has come and gone. And Jesus' kingdom reign is alive and active. He is making, indeed, all things new right now. We have an advantage over David. We are on this side of Jesus. We have all of his promises, all of his character, all of his instruction, and the reality of his death, burial, and resurrection. And in all of this, my friends, we can rest today. Baptism, as we're going to see now in just a minute, you think you were crying before, wait till I start dumping water on your head, bud. (laughs) Baptism is a great picture of what I'm talking about today. It's a great picture of it. Baptism demonstrates the steadfast love, the faithfulness, and the glory of God towards us through his son, Jesus Christ. As we speak the words of baptism, as we renew our vows to follow Christ, as we look on, as Ben's, Ben and Lindsay commit to raising Jacob under Christ and in submission to him, we can have confidence as the water flows down that God is showing us a picture of who he is, that his steadfast love and his faithfulness and his glory flow down. They are active and available and present to us today. I pray that several things will happen in the next few moments. I pray that this love and faithfulness and glory become real in a new way in our lives, that where there might be a little bit of a hard spot, God comes and speaks to it in the midst of our trouble. I do. I pray that for. I have prayed that this morning for all of us. I have prayed this morning that those of us who are in trouble and we are in real trouble have a sense that God's hand is tenderly protecting us while standing against our enemies. That we'll have a sense of this position in Him. I pray that all who are indeed haughty, manipulating people or things to get our own ways, would recognize it this morning and give it up. Submit. Turn it over. And I pray 
that no matter where we are in our relationship with Christ, whether that be in a really mature spot or maybe we're just coming, we're just starting to think about it. We don't really have a relationship with Jesus and we're just coming to it or anything in between. Wherever our relationship might be today, I pray that as the water flows down, as we say these words, as we consider the body and blood of Christ together and the cross that those of us who are ashamed, those of us who need redemption, those of us who need saving, those of us who are desperate to know God's love and faithfulness and glory, will walk further toward him. So, what we do here at Church of the Apostles after a sermon, is we take a full two minutes. You can blame Walter for this. We take a full two minutes. We only used to do one, and then he got in you know, control somehow. And so we, we take two now, and we're going to be quiet. And, and we're just going to be quiet. We're going to be in silence for a couple of minutes. If you've never been in silence in a room full of people, if this is your first time, it will feel like 25 minutes. It will only be two. I promise I'll watch. Maybe one of the things I just said relates to you. Maybe you need one of those things. Maybe God has talked to your heart today. Uh, I'm a little haughty. I, I want God to work on my behalf, but I want him to work my way. Maybe that's where you are. Okay, give that up. In two, you can do it in two minutes. Easy. Just give it up. Maybe you're desperate. You're desperate for a relationship with God where his steadfast love and faithfulness and glory is so evident every day. Maybe you're desperate for that. Okay, ask him. You know what? He can deliver it in two minutes. He can do that easy. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. We humbly offer this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.